Good morning. How are you? Are you well? Yeah? Good? You are the ones. You are the strong. You are the ones who have either not had the lurgy, have fought off the lurgy, or are currently infecting us, even as you sit here. So I just want to say thank you for being, being here. Uh, we know there's loads of, uh, loads of stuff going around, loads of illness going around. I'm actually speaking twice today, so uh, this morning I can say, come on England, we're going to beat the French this afternoon. And if you're watching on screen tonight, well, we beat the French! <laughs> there's the first word of prophecy today, so there you go. So um, we're, in this, we're in this series, we're uh, thinking about uh, the nature of who God is and what it means to be made in his image. It's really important to notice it's that way around, isn't it? We are so tempted, aren't we? Well, I am, to try and make God in my image. I look at myself, I look around, I, I kind of think whether I've had a good day or I've, you know, I can think about some things. I'm not so bad. And then I think, okay, well, there you are. That sort of reveals to me something about God. But it is the other way around. We are made in God's image. We're not extrapolating from ourselves up to God, but we're thinking, what does it mean to live in response to him? Which is a really good thing. Turn to your neighbour on a, and out of a, a zero to ten, zero is kind of really impatient. Ten is very patient. How patient a person are you? Just turn to your neighbour and just give a number, zero to ten. Okay. So uh, my, my number would vary enormously. My number would vary enormously depending on, um, on who's watching. Uh, if you were watching, oh, I'm a nine. Oh, you know, a solid, well, all right, an eight. But okay, a seven. I, I can be a six, come on. But on holiday, at least one day on holiday, I'm a minus one, at least. <laughs> I just, now come on, no, no one is watching except for God and a few hundred people. Does anyone else have the ability to totally ruin their family holiday on at least one day of the holiday through their impatience? <laughs> come on, men, come on, I can see, I can see. But no gender bias here, there's a few women who didn't put their hands up. I have the absolute ability to totally destroy a day on holiday. I really do. And I want to just be really honest with you and say, what I'm, what I'm saying this morning, we're always preaching to ourselves. But you know this morning when I talk about patience and impatience, and I'm going to say a little bit about anger as well, I'm so speaking to myself. This is a journey for every one of us. Because if we just put the first line up, we, we, live, we live in a really impatient society. Do, do you not think that? Do you, do you agree? This is uh, from a, a newspaper. The average Briton is prepared to queue for five minutes and 54 seconds. Who are you that is willing to queue for that long? <laughs> but actually, of course, because it's an average, there's some of you who are willing to queue for longer. I'd think, you know, come for ministry. 
if you're willing to queue that long. Um, do you see the cities? The five most patient cities, Liverpool, Cardiff, Brighton, Southampton, Glasgow. The five least patient cities, Belfast, Plymouth, sorry, number one, Belfast, Leeds, London, Newcastle. Where would you put Cheltenham? Where would you put wherever you come from? We live, in, we live in a really impatient and a really angry world, don't we? If we just put my white van man up. Thanks, Andrew. Next slide. <laughs> He's good. There was a, there was a um, TV program, Angry Britain, and that's taken from that TV program, Angry Britain. I mean, I have to hold my hold up, hand up as well to the road rage one. Isn't it? I, I really am genuinely shocked at my ability to allow a bit of metal and plastic and stuff around me just completely change who I am. I, I, did, I did it yesterday. I was thinking about this sermon. God is so... I was driving along thinking about a sermon and there were two cyclists in the way. I mean, how dare they? On a country road, in the Cotswolds, cycling. And wearing lycra. And they were cycling... Okay, they weren't exactly side by side, but one of them was just only slightly back to pretend that they were in line. But not really... I know they don't actually have to, by the way, before I get the emails. Okay? And so there I was. Put my foot down. Swung round the corner... I nearly hit another bunch of cyclists coming the other way. It could have been a very, very different... But, you know, here I am, a solid eight, nine kind of person, or six, or five, or four, or three. And in an instant, I can go from talking about a sermon and thinking about patience and the nature of my God, our God, and in an instant, the rage can build. <coughs> We're talking about who God is, first and foremost, so that we can then really begin to think about who we are in relation. And our lens is Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. The background to, to, this, to this verse that I'm just going to read in a moment is that a guy called Moses, many of us will be very familiar with the story, has been used by God to lead his people out of Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. God is calling them to fulfill their purpose that he's given to Abraham right back at the beginning of their story. He's revealed himself to Abraham and he's revealed the purpose in choosing these people and saying that I will be present with you is so that you can be a blessing to the whole of the world, to all of the nations. You have a special job to do, which is to tell people about me so that people can know about me and then they can know themselves. And if they know me and they know themselves, then they can live life in all its fullness as it's intended to be. And they've arrived in the Sinai, in the wilderness. It, by the way, would have only taken them a week to walk across it, but because they're going round and round in circles, they're going to spend 40 years there. And Moses has been called onto a mountain to meet God, and he has said to God, I want to know more. I want to know more about who you are. And God says, 
And we'll read this verse now, Andrew. Thanks, just put it up there again. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. Some people debate whether God says those words or whether the commentator Moses is saying, it's the Lord, the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. I'm looking forward to when we share about the last part of those verses in a couple of weeks' time. There's good news to share there as well as warning. Now, the first thing not to notice is that the very fact of God being there with Moses and responding tells us that God is personal. That's something to notice. There'll be people sitting here today who you know about God, but you maybe don't know the personal nature of God. And that's something to notice in this verse straight away. That's a a revelation In the ancient world, as we were thinking last week, to tell someone your name tells them about your character and your personality. You've probably already guessed that Andrew means manly. (laughs) You've thought that whenever I've said, hi, my name is Andrew. But isn't it wonderful that God does not say to Moses, you want to know a bit more about me? Well, here's some doctrine. God God doesn't say, you want to know about me? Uh, Go to Vicar Factory for two years. God says, you want to know more about me than experience me. That would be something that might be easy to miss from this encounter, first and foremost. That God reveals himself to us to be personal and says, experience me. And as I, as I said, if you're here today and you, you know about God, but you don't know God, if you're here today and you haven't experienced God, or you're here today and you hunger to experience more of God, well, the good news is that's exactly what he's in the business of. That's what he wants to do with you today. There's your, there's your prayer. There's your perhaps challenge to God. God, here am I. I need to experience you. Last week we were thinking and and Tim and Hills were helping us in the morning and evening that God could have said many things about himself first. He could have said that he's holy, that he's judge. He could have said I'm creator of the world but he says the first thing, doesn't he, that he is compassionate. And we were helping ourselves to think last week that the Hebrew word for, for compassionate is the same word group as for womb, mother's womb. The compassion, the first thing that God reveals about himself is that his feeling for us, his nurture for us is like a woman for their child. He's gracious. The Hebrew word group for gracious is is a word group that implies the powerful stooping down to scoop up the weak. But the second thing God tells us, and it's here today, isn't it? is that he's slow to anger. He is slow to anger. To see it in that verse again, I've just highlighted it, Andrew will pop it up. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Some of you may have translations which use the term long-suffering. And I want to come back to that in a moment. I mean, the first thing, again, to notice, the big picture, is that this is the second time that, Ma- that Moses has been up on this particular mountain, Mount Sinai. I've nipped over and took a picture for you earlier this morning. There it is. So Moses has already gone up the mountain and gathered the, the Ten Commandments. I love that Mel Brooks film, History of the World, when Moses, when Mel Brooks is being Moses and he comes out with three tablets and he says, the Lord, the God has given us 15 and then he drops one, 10, 10 commandments. It's already happened. And what's uh, stunning is that in, in, the, in the bit there, the, the, uh, the, at first the people say, when Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, they say, we will do everything. The verse is going up, thanks, Andrew. We will do everything the Lord has said we will do when they first get those commandments. But then, then a chapter later, a little bit of time later, Moses has gone back up the mountain and they say this, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, come, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Their impatience is such that they go from, we will do everything that God says, to come let us make our own gods. It would seem as foolish as a lead pastor going from thinking about holy thoughts about a sermon to slightly cursing under his breath at a couple of cyclists because they were just in his way. It would seem that foolish, wouldn't it? But in the face of this, God has called Moses back up the mountain and said, here I am. You've asked to know more of me. And I will reveal more of myself to you. You can experience me. And so that Hebrew word translated as slow to anger in some of our translations, the Hebrew word for long-suffering. It's the two words in the Hebrew. The first uh, is, is for long or slow and the second word in Hebrew is, is actually a word that can be translated as, as face. Is there something there about the sense in which anger is so often shown on the face? God's face turned to Moses and turned to us is a face of compassion, not anger. You'll be the judge of this, but I worry sometimes when I speak in church, I make it sound like I am ever so slightly disappointed with those who are listening to me. I wonder if I sometimes convey the thought that God is constantly ever so slightly disappointed with us. The face of God is not a face of anger. It is a face of compassion and kindness, of long-suffering 
When this same word gets translated into Greek into the New Testament, it has the sense of endurance in the face of distress. The distress that is caused to God by sin. The distress that is caused to God by people being foolish and messing up. And yet in the face of that, God endures and perseveres and is patient and his face is turned towards us. Paul's description of this in Acts 13, verse 18, just pop it up. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. God's been enduring my conduct for 55 years. And so we look at Jesus, don't we? Because we know that Jesus is God in human form. And whatever we see imperfectly portrayed through the lenses of the Old Testament, we then come and see in full focus. If you're someone this morning, again, looking to experience who God is, have that sense of as you look at Jesus, you see God come into perfect, sharp focus. The incarnation itself, the fact that God would be born in human form into the earth is a sign, a symbol to us of his long-suffering nature. He is slow to anger. Think about Jesus' encounters with his disciples. Think about how impatient we would have got with them, with their bickering, with their lack of understanding, with their betrayal of him. Peter, as we put the verse up, Peter, he restores. But I have prayed for you, says Jesus in Luke 22. I have prayed for you, Simon, before he becomes Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus, long-suffering. Jesus has to be patient with God's timing, doesn't he? John 7, verse 6, Jesus, who knows the Father's will, Jesus, he says to them, therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. He's patient, long-suffering. And on the cross, on the cross, of course, which brings it all into focus, John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, asked Jesus, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, save me from this hour. Come on, Father, you know the end of the story. You know these people. You know what they've done. You know how they'll let you down. Father, come on. But he says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Peter, writing in the New Testament about Jesus on the cross and around the cross, says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him 
who judges justly. Many of us will have had 1 Corinthians 13 read at our weddings. Paul gives 15 different lenses about the nature of God to add to the one lens that Moses had in Sinai. Love is patient. Love is kind. It helps us notice that love in God is both passive and active. Exodus 34, notice in the verse that the compassion of God is active. The kindness of God is active. Slow to anger, patient, is passive in the sense that it allows us the time to receive God's love. But some people will say, Andrew, you're describing a God as being patient and kind. What about all those difficult times in the Old Testament? Some of us will know a guy called Richard Dawkins who writes aggressively about God. He said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynist, homophobic, racist, infant, I can't even say it, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadiomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And that's what some of the people you're working with tomorrow think. Is God consistently slow to anger, consistently patient? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. In all those tough passages that we read about God in the Old Testament, we're not having described to us what should have happened. We're having described to us what did happen. And yet, God, 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 God is consistent. So judgments are always preceded by warning. Noah preached for a hundred years before the flood came. When God acts, it's always in situations of extreme danger and polluting effect. Any and all innocent adults are given opportunity to, uh, to repent and to escape. And in fact, expulsion, if you can just put the slide up, Andrew, expulsion is often the punishment In fact, what you read when you read the Old Testament is a story of God's patience, not a story of vengeance and wrath. Someone, Robin Schermacher, has said, a full examination of Yahweh in the Old Testament reveals a righteous, patient, merciful and loving God who does indeed mirror the picture painted by Jesus and the rest of the New Testament writers. Many of us will cast our minds immediately when we think about the patience of God, the long-suffering nature of God to the parable of the lost son. Many of us will also know that that parable really should be called the parable of the forgiving father. Luke's gospel, we read about this son who literally wishes his father dead. By taking his inheritance. That's what it means. I wish you were dead, dad. 
I wish you were dead. And his father gives him his inheritance. And the son goes off and squanders it, doesn't he? And the son eventually comes to his senses and says, I wonder what the attitude of, God, of my father will be to me. I wonder what his face will be like. I wonder how he will receive me back. And if you know the story, you know the picture there. The father has been long-suffering and waiting Because while he was still a long way off the sun, his father sees him, is filled with compassion for him. He runs to his son, he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. I love the statue by Charlie Mackesy. That image of that moment. God has his face turned towards us. God is patient. God is long-suffering. He is enduring distress to give us space and opportunity to meet with him. Do you wonder what God's face might be like towards you? Perhaps you're really worried that he's just angry. Perhaps you're, maybe like me, perhaps, you can tend to wonder if God is ever so slightly disappointed. Let's put that picture of that bronze statue up again, please, Andrew. There's something in that sculpture by Charlie that reflects the face of God towards us, the look he's giving us right now. But, but I need to tell you something, don't I? I need to tell you that the fact that God is slow to anger does not mean that sin doesn't matter. I need us to notice that God is withholding judgment. Nahum says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Romans 2 verse 4, Paul writing to Christians says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. To Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's not going to last forever. God is perfect judge. Perfect, 
perfect judge. And that is a full expression of his love. It is not loving to let evil just run amok. It is not loving for God not to also judge entirely perfectly and fairly. There is time for us to turn back. But I don't know how much time there is. We live in a very angry world. I haven't even mentioned the B word. Go for one second on social media, see how angry the world is. Drive with me or anyone else perhaps and see how angry the world is. Hear the people who say, I could scream. We've had the scandals in politics, in banking, in public life, in sporting life, and in the church. We have a a target culture. We have a, a belief that competition is the way to get results. You're living in this reality more than I am as a full time minister. The roots of this are in the sins of fear and injustice and selfishness. There's a lack of identity, a lack of a sense of relationship with God from whom all understanding comes. And we have to face this. The consequences are very real. A patient person has great understanding, says the writer of Proverbs, but a quick-tempered person displays folly. When you're impatient like me, you make shortcuts. You take shortcuts. That's what I do. And they inevitably lead to problems. I might try and shortcut my way to the end of a conversation. I might shortcut my way to the end of a church vision. I might be desperate, so desperate for something shiny that I would shortcut the work of being obedient to God. I've worked in workplaces where people have taken shortcut to profit. I've worked in in places and with friends where I've seen shortcuts taken in relationships. This marriage is not working, so I'll just take a shortcut to another one. It'll be better. It's bound to be okay. Impatience and anger breeds foolishness, and it has short-term and eternal consequences. But if you know anything about societies, you know that a minority can influence a society to bad and a minority can influence a society to good. Ephesians 4.2, Paul writes, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It starts with us. It starts with me. My last slide. God is slow to anger. He does not turn his back on us. 
If you're here today wondering if God might have turned his back on you, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't. His patience, his long-suffering nature means that you can trust him. Look at how he has dealt with us over all of these generations. And that is how he will deal with you now. But Andrew, that last one, please. He'll keep coming for us for as long as is possible. It's not forever, but it is as long as possible. I think like Moses, we have to recognise the reality of the culture in which we live. The people were stiff-necked and obstinate, he said. We have to recognise the reality of the culture we live in and its impact on us. We notice it in our own church family sometimes. We certainly notice it in individual lives. And so the only solution, the only answer is to meet with God. To experience the goodness of God and then let that change you from the inside out. That's the only way experiencing the reality of the presence of God. Inviting him into every part of your life. Every moment where anger and impatience could trip you up, shortcut you. Invite him in. And let him change you from the inside out. Just because we sit in a church at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. I don't think it means that lots of us haven't got to deal with some stuff today. Would you stand if you're able to? So here we go. Let's, let's immediately, just if the band can come, thank you. Let's just immediately start to do, do some very over business with God. We've got plenty of time before we need to go and deal with, not deal with, forgive me. <laughs> Collect, children. Whoops. I know God's been doing some stuff. I know when I, uh, when I was preparing for this morning, I, I knew how much I was going to be speaking to myself. And I also knew how much I, I would be touching on some, some raw nerves. I, knew, I, I know that to be true. I, I don't for a moment think this is only about men, but I, I, I think actually, I think for quite a few men, this is a question. I think being a man in our age is not the easiest of things. There's not an enormous amount of hunter-gathering that needs to happen anymore. And I think, being honest about it, and I know women, there are many, many um, issues that have to be addressed very, very fundamentally. But just for a moment, I think, I think there's a bit of a thing for men not quite knowing what we're for, really. In some ways. And I think this competitive world and this target-driven culture 
that we live in can actually really make us very cross. If that's in the slightest bit true, Holy Spirit, would you just come now? God, our Father, your face is turned towards us. You are compassionate and kind. And here you are, your loving kindness reaches out to us. Your long-suffering nature has patiently given us this time, this moment. Holy Spirit, would you help us not to be obstinate? Would you help us not to be stiff-necked? But in the name of Jesus, the loving kindness and mercy and compassion of God, would you come? Male or female, wherever there is anger and impatience, either welling up inside of us or, or that we're experiencing from others. Would you come, Holy Spirit of God, come. Just ima imagine that, that embrace of the Father right now for you. Maybe you've been on the receiving end. Maybe you've joined in Facebook, Twitter, gossip. Maybe you've joined in through what you've not done at the school gates. So easy to get angry, isn't it? So easy to send emails. Maybe actually the truth is you're even in a relationship that is, is not healthy and you're suffering because of anger. Come Holy Spirit, embrace of God, the embrace of the Father. Maybe you grew up in an angry household. I sense that for some. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Come, God. And just while eyes are closed, while we respect each other, you might just want to, I asked you to raise a hand before if you reflected anything of my experience of spoiling holidays. As I have my hand raised, that's the one hand you can know is raised. Why don't you just raise a hand if you're wanting to say, God, yes, there is something here today where I need you in this area of anger and impatience. Just for God only. Thank you. Bless you. God sees you. God sees you. We just keep our eyes closed, everyone. So come, God, please. Come, God, now in the name of Jesus. The loving kindness. God's mercy come.
We say sorry to you, God, first and foremost. We repent. That means we turn now. We turn. We turn away from what is wrong. And we turn towards you. Come, God. Come, God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to give your gift of wisdom. There's a few people here who want to be different, want to live differently, want to go into work tomorrow and be different, want to drive home differently. Holy Spirit, would you come? You be the guide. Thank you, God.